0: right, welcome to Down by the Bank, a Jacksonville Jaguars podcast, episode 32. Um, Today, we're joined by a special guest back again from episode three, and was originally our very first guest ever, put us on the map a little bit, uh, Mike DiRocco, who covers the Jaguars for ESPN. Hey, Mike, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. You guys doing all right tonight?
0: Yeah, yeah, doing well, doing well. Pretty good, pretty good. So... Last time that you were on, Mike, we had two hosts. Now we have three. We were joined by JK3, and our ratings have shot through the roof. Uh, he's been a great addition, so we just wanted to uh, have him sort of introduce himself to you now.
2: You know, Mike, I'm a uh, you know casual fan like these guys, but uh, everyone tells me I have a uh, face for radio, so decided to hop on with him and test it out. And the ratings have uh, have proved right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Every uh, every time I'm on uh, TV, I usually get a text from my brother, my brother, or a couple of buddies that are like, "Wow, you really do have a face for radio." So I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> nice,
2: nice, nice. Well, um, just just hop on in, man. You put out a pretty uh, a pretty good uh, article uh, today. Um, you know, just getting back to that Tom Coughlin, getting back to that culture. You know, he's already established that five minute early rule. Um, you know, so so just. In, in essence, you know, how, how's
1: everything looking from a football uh, operations standpoint? What have you heard at that the stadium? Well, uh, you know, I wasn't sure just how much Tom Coughlin would be in charge, you know, or how much influence he would really have over everything, um, because that's kind of a, a nebulous title director of football ops, and, and you can kind of make it what you want, whether, you know, he was going to focus more on the personnel side and not necessarily on everything else, but kind um, of... <laughs> You know, we get the, the, the notice from the Jaguars that says the press conference is reducing Tom and, and Doug Marone with Shaw and Dave Caldwell is gonna, is, set for 10 a.m., but it's gonna begin at 9.55. And I was like, okay, well, that shows me that Tom Cawthon pretty much is in charge of everything at this point. Um, and, you know, that's a good thing. I think the, the franchise needs um, a little bit of of Tom Wallerman Fraser. I think the franchise needs a lot of Tom Coughlin's discipline and his structure. Um, I think that's kind of something that will really, really help this franchise kind of snap itself out of the direction it's going. And you know, it's still unclear exactly how much power he's going to have in terms of the roster and personnel. My my, what I'm hearing is that he'll be basically in total control. But uh, we'll get a better idea of that, you know, pretty much say, over the next week or two. But I think that, you know, it's a good thing that they brought Tom Coughlin back. I think it's probably the best thing they could have done at this point. I would have been fine if, even if they hired him as a coach, um, you know, to replace Gus Bradley. But, you know, even as the director, uh, executive vice president of football ops, I think it's a perfect fit for him at this point.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's also, uh, I think it's awesome also, you know, it, for him to come in and set that standard, set that disciplinary standard and, you know, let the guys know that, you know, the cake walks over with, you know, it, it's a culture standpoint. Now we're here to win football games. We're here to instill this culture. And I, I, I read uh, earlier today, I, I think it was on, I'm not sure if it was in your article or not, but, uh. I read somewhere that he uh, he fined Michael Strahan a thousand dollars for being
1: two minutes early to a meeting
2: <laughs> instead of five minutes early.
1: <laughs> right. His, one of his big rules is if you're five minutes, uh, meet, everything starts five minutes before it's supposed to start, um, and if you're more or not five minutes early, you're going to get in trouble. And uh, someone actually asked me on Twitter, I was "Like that was seems like it's ridiculous. Why not just?" Set the meeting to start at nine fifty five and I was like, well, but then that means you have to be there by nine fifty or you're late i mean that's <laughs> just that's just this thing and and you know what the jags are a young team and and I think the number is thirty eight on the fifty three or in their fourth year or less uh, on the roster, and young teams really, really need structure, they really need that discipline, and this is perfect timing for him to come in because I think we can all agree that there's some talent on this roster. There's more talent on that roster than the 3-13 record. Uh so it'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be a rough adjustment for some of these guys, um but it's certainly needed and I think the guys eventually once they get over the grumbling and adjustment stage will probably respond pretty well.
3: Yeah, the the uh Coughlin the Coughlin fingerprint is here and I am I I'm as a uh, as a Jag fan, Mike, I'm proud um you know, Khan also shot Khan also had a quote. Uh, he he said, you know, we'll look back on today's news as the moment that inspired and ultimately established the Jag Jaguars of the football team that wins week to week, season to season. Um and this is actually our first episode since we've uh you know, since the news broke that Marone's gonna be the coach. What do you, what do you think on Khan's uh assessment? Do you agree with it that he thinks that, you know, uh as far as, you know, having him and Coughlin together, um, and,
1: you know. The thing of it is, I mean, that's obviously optimistic owner talking, but to me, the moment that will determine that is when we find out what Blake Bortles is and whether he comes back from the offseason as a competent, productive quarterback with no mechanical issues that isn't throwing 15, 16 interceptions a year. To me, that's the more important thing. You know, the Com Coughlin thing obviously helps. And, you know, I like the hire of Doug Marone. I think, uh, you know, Doug is sort of from the Coughlin school, not to that extreme. But, you know, they both have their roots with the uh, Bill Parcells' system, uh, Bill Parcells' mm-hmm. tree there. So... I like it, but it, it, honestly, in this league, guys, it, as you guys know, it depends on the quarterback. If you've got a quarterback, you can win games. If you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to win games, and it's all hinging on Blake at this point. I think he'll come back as the the starter. He'll enter the season as the the off season as the starter, but you know they're probably going to bring in some competition, and he's going to have to prove himself. And if he shows up and he's mechanically sound and he's making better decisions and he doesn't let things get to him as much as they did last year, and he doesn't press, then I think they got a chance in that division because it's not a very good division. So I get what Shad was saying, and having Tom will help, and the Marone hire, like I said, I like. But to me, it just hinges on Bortles.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I got a lot of respect for Parcells. He once told Tony Romo, apparently, you know, you're here to be a quarterback, not to be Hollywood. You know, depending upon which way you turn will depend upon how many rings you get. Obviously, Romo went Hollywood, and we see where he's at now. Um, So I I like that. And hopefully that instills in our young team and and gets more discipline with us.
1: Yeah, and, you know, like I said, young teams crave discipline. And I think Gus Bradley's approach, um, which was, hey, you know, trust the process and let's focus on being our best. And if we're all our best, then the wins will come. That approach, I think, was good for the Jaguars in 2013-2014 because we all know that that was the worst roster in the league and they really weren't going to win a whole lot of games. Uh, so focusing on the process and being your best was probably the best way to go about it. But I know that there were some people in the building that expected Gus's, Gus to evolve from that philosophy and to start talking about winning games and making winning games the focus um, of everything they're doing. And, and that's not to say he didn't want to win games, because he certainly did. But I think that they figured that that would evolve eventually, and it didn't. You know, and that's why they had to make the change. But I, I like I like the direction they're going. Um, it remains to be seen if, if it's going to pay off, but I do like the direction.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, with with Marone coming in, a lot of the fans, you know, social media, that old, you know, Twitter tough guys have, you know, voice their opinion about you know uh, they don't like this this change, and you know, still got the same coaching staff minus the leader, and you know all that. But Marone and Bradley, you know, they they seems like they're kind of two different people now that you know there's some truths being told on on you know some truths coming out about Marone. So, what do you think the differences are between the two coaches?
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to what I just said about Gus Bradley um, and the process and being your best. Um, numerous players have told me and, and other members of the media in that first week that, uh, you know, Doug Marone talked about winning the game. We're going to go win this game. We're preparing to win this game. This is what we're going to do. Yes, we're going to practice hard. Yes, we're going to try and be our best. But the bottom line is, is we're going to win this game. We're preparing to win this game. And, you know, it sounds like a, it shouldn't be a big deal, but honestly, it really was, uh, because they hadn't really heard that. And, and that's one of the biggest differences. To be honest with you, it's just a different philosophical approach. Um, obviously, that approach has worked in Seattle, but it just didn't work here. Better players in Seattle, obviously, but Marone's more of a disciplinarian as well. Um, so I feel like you know it's it's a shock to the system. Um, you know, uh, when you factor in the Coughlin factor as well, um, it's a shock to the system for these guys. But I think you know it's going to be good for them. And and Marone, I think, is is the kind of guy at this point. You know. Fans were probably based on what I saw from my Twitter mention. Um, I would roll it at seventy five percent unhappy with the Marone hire, twenty five percent okay with it. Yeah, um, you know. But then thirty minutes later, when the Coughlin hire was announced, everybody was losing their mind. It's like, wow, Coughlin's back. This is awesome. So, I think the two of those guys will pair pretty well. And you know what that that says to me too is that. Khan believes this franchise is ready to win now, that there's enough talent on here on this roster right now for them to win seven, eight, nine games and possibly win the division in 2016. And Marone, I think, is the guy that they felt gave them the best chance to do that, which is why they chose him over some of the other candidates.
0: I know that was kind of my thought initially when I saw it break was, you know, the Marone hire. I was just sort of indifferent to it. But as soon as the Coughlin thing came out, I mean, I was texting everybody. I was going crazy. It's just kind of funny how that works. Um, But one thing that kind of, uh, and hopefully this isn't naive considering, you know, what our final overall record was, but he only retained three of the defensive assistant coaches on a defense that ranked pretty high. I mean, sixth overall in the NFL. Um, Why do you think that is?
1: Well, every guy has got the guys that they feel comfortable with. Um, you know, Marone came in here and all, and those other defensive guys were already here. So they weren't, you know, quote unquote, his guys. Now he got to know Todd Wash pretty well because, you know, in his time as the offensive line coach, those guys were going up against each other in practice every day. They were pretty closely connected, you know, through practices and all that other stuff. So they got to know each other pretty well. And, you know, I, I'm okay with, you know, Wash coming back. I know there were some people that probably weren't but you know just because wash is back doesn't mean he's going to run the exact same defense that he ran under gus that was gus's defense we all know that you know i expect you know them to scrap the auto i expect them to play more cover two. i expect them to be a little bit more aggressive um from the linebacker spot so you know it's going to change a little bit dance jamash um you know is is going to be the defensive quality control coach and and you know he was pretty close with with wash as well, so those were two guys that wash trusted and uh you know they needed some change there i mean we we heard what Jalen Ramsey and what Tayshaun Gibson and what Devon house said after that final game where they were talking about we weren't used right the the we were caged animals the the um, you know system really didn't fit what we what we do pretty well, so you know they needed some change there. But they kept the guy that really did a good job in his first year as a coordinator to kind of get everything going. And um, you know we'll see who they add to kind of replace those guys. But I think it's off to a pretty good start. I do like the, the retention of Wash.
2: Hey, uh, re- really quick, Mike. I just want to ask a quick question. Could you go into a little bit of that defensive quality control? coach i've never heard that uh that that being a title so for some of the fans and you know for you know someone like me you know what
1: what does that entail whatever help they need um if if the you know if they're breaking down some film on third downs uh you know he'll be involved in that uh he'll be involved in practice planning uh you know he'll assist in uh you know, game planning as well. I mean, it's really sort of a catch-all title to basically be a guy that helps out wherever they need. Um, and, and that's not to diminish the position because it, it, it's, a, it's an important position. Um, but, I mean, I think that it's it's a position that not a lot of people, like you said, know about. But it, it's sort kind of an invaluable kind of guy that, that can kind of help out wherever you need. I know that, uh, that Dan was also involved in um, a lot of game day um, operational stuff. Like, he was the guy in the box that would be on the headset telling Gus Bradley, hey, challenge that call. Uh, or you shouldn't challenge that call. So I don't know if that means that you guys like him or hate him, but, uh, cause Gus didn't exactly have a great record on challenges there, but, you know, that's, uh, you know, a role that, that, uh, that Dan filled and, and, you know, probably will continue to fill.
0: One thing that kind of, uh, was sort of, I consider like Todd Wash in that situation with the defensive players, you know, you know, talking about the the scheme and, and how they were caged animals after the season, probably pretty awkward for him coming back as defensive coordinator, although I'm sure he'll handle it well. But one thing I thought was, I'm sure awkward, but maybe not, is that, you know, with Caldwell, you know, Sean Khan had said in his statement that he did an excellent work and building a talented and promising roster, which I relatively agree with. But if that's the case, why do you think Conn would have hired Coughlin with the idea that Caldwell would report to Coughlin and that Coughlin would then have the final say on the 53-man roster. I mean, isn't there sort of a disconnect in that message? And, and I guess, how do you see those two working together in the future?
1: Yeah, it it is a little bit of a disconnect. But when you – and I agree with you. I think that Dave has done a, a pretty solid job, especially when you look at the middle rounds of the draft. You saw a lot of good players in that area, like a Calvin Smith in the fifth and Brandon Linder in the third. Uh, Aaron Colvin in the fourth, so he's done a good job there. The problem is is that when you look at the first-round picks, and you need to hit on your first-round picks, especially when you're picking in the top five, and of the four that he's made, Luke Jokel and Blake Bortles and Dante Fowler and Jalen Ramsey, the only one you can point to right now that you know for sure is a stud is Jalen Ramsey. Mm -hmm. So the one thing we know about Coughlin, and I wrote about this, is if you go back and you look at his history, drafting, especially in the first round, and, you know, you throw in the second round with a Duke, Coughlin was a—he hit on a ton of guys. I mean, his first-ever draft pick is Tony Baselli, the greatest player in franchise history and a potential Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, don't forget you know, Kevin Hardy, Tony Brackens, Fred Taylor, Donovan Darius, um, even guys like Ronaldo Wynn and Fernando Bryant, who probably weren't stars— we're still pretty good, productive players. So he's got a big-time history of being able to find guys in the first round or identify talented guys in the first round of the draft that turn out to be pro bowlers and, and you know, all pro guys. Because when you're picking in the top five, which they've done, will be doing for six years in a row, by the way, which is the longest streak in NFL modern draft history, but when you're picking guys that high, you got to hit on those guys. Those guys have got to be studs. I mean, they... You know, your your left tackle that you pick number two overall needs to develop into a Pro Bowl guy, and and we all know that Luke Joeckel isn't that. Now the jury's still out, obviously, on portals because of all the stuff that happened this year and what we've talked about. And you know, Fowler was essentially a rookie, and he's got some maturity issues. So you know, those first three picks, which should be the foundation of your your program, your franchise you don't even know if they're going to be here two years from now. So, you know, Coughlin did a good job at that. He's done a good job of identifying, you know, look at some of the, you know, he traded for Mark Dornell, the greatest quarterback in franchise history. You know, they found Jimmy Smith, the biggest receiver in franchise, or the best receiver in franchise history, essentially off the street. So, you know, Coughlin's got a good eye for talent. The reason they won the Super Bowls, not Eli Manning, in New York, it was the pass rushers and they just kept drafting pass rushers. So he's got a good eye for talent. So I'm expecting Tom, you know, that's the reason they, they brought Tom in really is otherwise, you know, to instill discipline, yes, to kind of evaluate some free agents, yes, figure out where they need to go with, with the personnel they have, yes, but nail the draft. That's what they needed Tom to do. And you know, it's, it, it may be awkward at first for Dave, but I know Dave, relatively well and I think he's going to adjust and be fine and you know the bottom line is they want to win and if they win then all that stuff takes care of itself you can work for Tom Coughlin and that isn't an awkward situation when you're winning eight nine ten games a year when you're winning three it's an awkward situation so I don't expect there to be any problems. um and like I said Dave is, is a pretty easygoing guy so I don't anticipate him being resistant I mean, it's probably a little embarrassing for him at this point right now, but I'm sure he'll, you know, adjust as, you know, the months go by.
0: Hey, uh, Mike, are the media bound to the five-minute rule, too, when it comes to the press (laughs) conferences? Uh,
1: You're darn right we are, apparently. I've heard (laughs) some stories. Uh, Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's probably a beneficial thing for the media to be 15 minutes early to everything. Now, I don't know how often we're going to get Tom, Um, And I don't anticipate Doug Marone, you know, being as, what, anal retentive as (laughs) Tom Coughlin is. Um, But, I mean, it's just good for him to be there early. But, yeah, I mean, you need to be there. If if he says the press conference starts at 10, it means it starts at 9.55. So you better be in place by 9.45 just to be sure.
0: Yeah. Well, it'll definitely, I think we're all pretty much uh, cautiously optimistic, you know, the change is good and, and it's good to see kind of a, a huge part of the Jaguars history back on the, you know, on the, in the organization to help us uh, hopefully get back on a winning path. So uh, we're certainly very, 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 very appreciative. And I know listening back to episode three, uh, you almost laughed at how, uh, you know, you know, dorky we were when it comes to showing our appreciation on the podcast for you coming on. But it really <laughs> means a lot. Uh and uh, you're a great follow on Twitter. Your writing on ESPN is awesome. Uh, definitely enjoy the the sort of back and forth. And if you guys don't already follow Mike on, on Twitter, he's at, at ESPNDoraco. And uh, he engages like crazy with the Jags fans on there. So, um, you yeah, know, we'll definitely put your stuff up on our podcast description and on social media. And uh, Mike, uh, on behalf of uh, all three of us, uh, thanks again for joining the podcast.
1: Oh, hey, look, I appreciate you guys having me. I, I do... Kind of not not every, not all the writers feel this way, you know, just in general. But I do kind of feel like I should interact with the fans. I enjoy interacting with you. Look, if you guys didn't exist, then you know I don't know what I would be doing. But I wouldn't be writing for ESPN. I mean, you guys are the lifeblood of what you know what we do. So I mean, I appreciate all you guys um, more than you guys probably will ever know. And, and you know, happy to come on for a podcast anytime I can interact with the fans to me, is fantastic. And let me say this. You said just a minute ago, you're excited? I'm excited, too, because I spent 13 years covering the University of Florida. I covered four national championships, two in football, two in basketball. I covered Tim Tebow, uh, three trips to New York for the Heisman, Um, SEC championships, basketball. I mean, look, I want to cover a game that matters. (laughs) You know, I want to cover a significant football game. You know, yeah. Did you hear? Did you hear all that, Derek? Did you hear all
2: that that he, that he covered? Is you that. being a Florida State fan? <laughs> did, you hear, did you hear all that that Sorry. he
1: covered?
3: Hey, hey, hey! I wasn't gonna say nothing. I was gonna keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: one of my favorite memories was the Braveheart game in Tallahassee when it was raining like you wouldn't believe, oh, and Dan Mullen had a heart attack and he's like, "We can't throw the ball." And was like, "I got this." Uh, it was just fantastic, just the, the, the atmosphere of that game. But anyway, I want to cover games like that and. The only way that happens is if the Jags start winning. So it would be fantastic for me to see this team start winning games so I could cover games that, on a selfish level, cover games that mean something. So I'm just as excited as you guys are about uh, Tom Coughlin coming back.
2: Yeah, speaking of the, uh, of that Braveheart game, um, shout out to, uh, <laughs> Petty Officer, uh, First Class Austin, who's, uh, listening to us out in Hawaii. Uh, that was our first Florida State Florida game. And, uh, he bought the tickets on StubHub and we ended up sitting behind the Florida band. So he wasn't too happy about that. <laughs>
1: oh, wow. <laughs> that's wow. a bad place to be. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, cool. Well, yeah, that's awesome, man. We really appreciate it. And uh, and uh thanks again and just remember everybody the podcast is available on itunes soundcloud stitcher and google play um if you are on itunes please leave a rating and review uh just helps us out a little bit and you can also follow us on facebook and twitter to see when new episodes are coming out and uh, to end the episode today we're actually going to play a take that was sent over to us by our uk correspondent i think we're nicknaming him now uh gareth hughes which he titled an englishman's view of the jaguars 2016 season it's like a six minute take that we got and uh, we thought it was really good so we'll uh, we'll play that and uh otherwise uh, we'll talk to you guys later
4: morning fellas this is gareth here from manchester england this is my 2016 review of the jacksonville jaguars 3 and 13 where to start because it sounds awful that doesn't it when you say it uh first of all i couldn't believe in the draft that we got Jalen ramsey and then miles jack in the second day i was absolutely over the moon Unfortunately I believed all the hype that J.P. Shadrick and Tony Paselli, hopefully the new Hall of Famer may have had with that, in 10 and 10XL saying, oh yeah, we've got a playoff team, we are going to do it, this, that and the other, and obviously it just wasn't the case. Uh, my goals for the Jags this year was at least a winning record and a win at Wembley, so I got the win at Wembley and saw so my Jags get the win at Wembley, but unfortunately the winning record obviously wasn't the case. Uh, the, let's face it, the AFC is probably the worst division. Maybe the a- NFC South, maybe is uh, NFC West. Sorry, is probably the worst. Uh, I'm not too sure, but a losing record will probably get you into the playoffs. Really, but saying that, three and thirteen is not good enough in any division. So I can't really say any more about that. But when we first started the season, way back in September now, uh, I think we had Green Bay, didn't we? And, and we played all right. I think we lost by a score with that game. But then we didn't realise that Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay were really, truly awful at the start of the season. Uh, and then Wembley came round, after obviously after the Ravens, and then Wembley came round, and I thought, this is where we can kick on. We can get a divisional win and really fire on. And then we got the win. I was so, so chuffed with that as well. Coming home on the train home, I was absolutely, absolutely ecstatic with that. But then, obviously, the bye week happened, and whether you agree with the bye week in, in the uh, start of the season or not, it's not the case, but we did lose momentum, uh, but we just we just couldn't do it, really. I mean, coming to the bye week, uh, I know India had their bye week a lot later than what we did. We had ours in week five, I think we did, after week four, and I don't think it helped them look at their record. They were third, weren't they? So I'm not too sure about that. Uh, I think Bradley was right, though, this year to play the game uh, as it was an East Coast game, basically. So flying off 24 hours before, because the flying time's the same, but the time zone's are slightly different, isn't it? Uh, I think it's 9am your time when you kick off, I'm not too sure. But uh, I keep, people keep coming to me saying, oh, well, why don't you play the London game later? People who don't understand, uh, and really it won't be an option really because it's bloody brass monkeys from late October, I think it's about 4 degrees in London during the day and I don't think you uh, Floridorians if that's what you're called, would love a nice cold winter over here, you like the sun don't you really <laughs> the other thing as well is our clocks go back in October before yours so you could have the potential where you could be an 8 o'clock kick off as well instead of a 9 o'clock kick off your time which obviously ideal for us because we get the train earlier but for you guys you're getting up earlier really Uh so That's enough of the bi anyway, it's not really about the bi it's about our uh, review really. But all in all, I think it's been a disappointing season. I think we've regressed so far now, it's unbelievable. But then again, the refs haven't helped us out either. I think Kansas City comes to mind straight away, there's there's other examples as well. But that one, Kansas City, was a joke really with the refs. Uh, but saying that, I know I'm being negative but there is massive positives this year I do believe so, uh, our defence was superb considering 9 of our losing games were settled by a score, it's an absolute credit and I think defensively I don't think we, can, I don't think we need to change anything, maybe strengthen a little bit but I don't think we need to, also and I know we, I'm probably going to get slated by this by you guys over there but I think Jason Myers absolutely stepped it up this year, he couldn't hit a band or with a banjo last year, but this year he hit 40, 50 yarders all the time Yes, I know he missed easier P.A.T.'s, but he saved Blake's skin a few times this year as well with his uh, last-minute kicks. But obviously, that's only the positives we've got. <sighs> the, the bad, it's quite a lot of list, really. I've got, I'm looking at my list here now, and it's quite bad, actually. I think Bottles needs this off-season now to sort his head out. Uh, I can't believe last season was a fluke because he was really good last season, and I think he's regressed, somewhat regressed to the point of his mechanics are off and seeing what's happening with, with plays and things. So I think... He needs to take this time now and sit sit back, think, and you know really concentrate on, on his game for next season. The other thing, really, and it really annoyed me every game this year, we were giving too many penalties away, giving too many yardage away, and it really does need to be addressed. Especially when we're giving safeties away as well. What's all that about with with it? But again, hopefully the new head coach will come in, whoever it's going to be. I've I've got my uh, I've got my suspicions, but. Uh we don't get much information about coaching over here, but I've been looking on the uh the press at your side and it seems to be a few coaches, but hopefully they'll they'll stamp this out and we won't have any more silly penalties given away because there were so many penalties this year given away for yardage. It just isn't good enough. Uh special teams. The amount of times we gave away uh punt and kickoff returns for six was unbelievable. I cannot believe that. Uh this let us down and was by far the worst part of the team, full stop. You know, I think the special teams need to take a good, long, hard look at themselves, and whether it's a new coach, I know we've got rid of one, but maybe it's a new coach and try and get them sorted, then that's a thing. Granted, Marquis Lee got that 100-yard uh, touchdown, but that doesn't make up for it. I think that was absolutely needs to change, and it needs to start probably with the coach, I think. I know oh, where one went, but we got another one. Maybe it's time to get down and sort that out, really. Finally, uh, plays, have, you've just got to have fun again, you know. If you look to get, you know, when we saw the Titans game and Bortles got that receiving touchdown, they all looked like they're having fun and they're having, you know, the pressure was off and, and we need to get back to that, really. Things just have to work, just be natural and just can't be manufactured. Yes, I know plays have to be, but still things have to be natural and, and move. And, you know, with simple bubble screens don't always work, really, but it, hopefully this is a time, really, now of the season. We've got a bit of time now before we can... Kick on in September, next September now and really push on and get uh, oh, get playoff football again. It's been, what, 20 years, I think it is now, isn't it? Now, so we need to get that sorted, really. Anyway, right, lads, I've got to go. I've got to pay my debt to my mate who is, I hate to say, a Pats fan and I lost a bet saying that, make playoff ma- saying that we would be playoff material and, unfortunately, I've got to pay that debt back today. So I won't tell you what it is because it's really embarrassing, but I'll leave it at that. But anyway, latest, fellows and keep up the good work and I shall speak to you soon.